Hello and welcome to the EMJ podcast. My name is Simon Carley and today I'm going to be taking you through the the papers that have caught our eye in the November edition of the EMJ 2020. It's an interesting time at the moment to be in emergency medicine with COVID-19 racing through the world and certainly in the Northern Hemisphere looking at a winter which could be pretty tricky to be honest. But although COVID is causing us massive problems at the moment, we've still got the rest of emergency medicine to deal with as well. And I don't know about you, but where I am, our numbers are pretty much back to where they were before COVID. And we're still struggling with things like crowding and space and, and all the other different presentations that turn up in the ED. So although COVID is, is you know, taking a lot of our, our mind and bandwidth at the moment, I think we do need to keep ensuring that we're developing in other areas of our practice too. So this month, Mary Doward, who's one of our associate editors, has had a look through the the paper and and selected a few which I think are are worthy of note and a listen. So the first one is around head injury. And we know that in the UK, at least, um, about 1.4 million people attend the ED with a head injury each year. And the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, also known as NICE, um, recommends routine CT imaging of all patients with mild head injury taking anticoagulants within eight hours of injury. So... The risk of adverse outcomes following mild injury when taking something like a DOAC or a direct oral anticoagulant, if you prefer, is uncertain. We often think about them being anticoagulants because they are, but we don't actually know from the data. Nonetheless, to many of us, it often feels like it's an unnecessary investigation and an overexposure of a patient who is clinically well and without symptoms. So you may be interested to read a paper by Fuller, Gordon Fuller and colleagues from Sheffield. Gordon works here in the Northwest um, as well, who conducted an observational study cohort study with the aim of estimating the risk of adverse um, outcome after mild head injury in a patient taking a DOAC who turns off an ED and it's there to guide emergency department management. So primary endpoints and adverse outcome within 30 days and that's a composite outcome comprising neurosurgery, intracranial hemorrhage or death due to head injury and they found that the risk of adverse outcomes following mild head injury in patients taking DOACs is actually pretty low. The authors suggest that these findings would suggest um, a more shared patient clinical decision making rather than just an, a, a box standard routine imaging following every patient taking a DOAC. For me, I think this is going to be helpful. Um, it may be music to your ears. You might like it. It may even really please the radiologist, to be honest, especially in the middle of the night. So we don't, gosh, my practice has changed so much around the the, uh, the acquisition of CTs over the last 10 years. But we, we don't want to just CT people for no reason. So I think if we can reduce it down, and particularly as we're going to see DOACs um, increasingly used, I think, um, this is something that may help us. Second paper is also about heads, um, but more about children in this occasion. So children are no exception when head injuries are concerned. And we estimate that there's about 700,000 of them in the UK attend hospital each year with a head injury and less than 1% of these need neurosurgical intervention. So if you remember, overall it was 1.4, so about you know half of the patients with head injury are actually kids. Um, Aldridge and colleagues um, hypothesised that a proportion of these patients could be screened and discharged at triage with appropriate safety netting by a nurse using a clinical decision tool. So they prospectively screened all patients, just under 1,800 patients in fact, at triage over a six-month period in 2018 using a mandated electronic head injury at triage questionnaire or the HIDAT-Q, as it's known. Their findings suggest that a negative HIDAT-Q appears safe for the department and that potentially up to 20% of all children presenting with head injuries could have been discharged by nurses using the screening tool. This figure increases to 50% if children with lacerations or abrasions were given advice and discharged at triage. However, they do point out that this is not definitive. We probably do need a multi-centre study required to validate this tool 
um, and arguably any intervention that safely minimise the length of stay for children in the ED is a good thing for us to look at. And I think it will appeal to those of us like myself who work in paediatric emergency medicine where we do see quite a lot of patients who may have waited some time um, with very minor head injuries. And I think everybody will appreciate that, um, patients, staff and everybody else. So moving away from head injury and um, going to the heart of the matter, we're going to have a look at chest pain. Still a very common presentation in the ED, um, but you know we've done a lot, haven't we? There's been a lot of advances in the last few years and technology, and they've changed and expedited the way that we assess and manage these patients. But are we seeking more or less patients presenting with chest pain? So Alam and colleagues in the US undertook a retrospective descriptive study of trends in utilisation and care of ED chest patients from 2006 to 2016. And they used data from the Healthcare Cost and Utilisation Projects database. That's a national sample of US ED visits and hospitalisations. So in this study, they described the demographics, the care and the cost trends for chest pain over 11 years. So I think unsurprisingly, agreeing with Mary, they found that ED visits for patients with chest pain increased, but inpatient admission rates declined from 19% in 2006 to 3.9% in 2016. That's really interesting. Is it due to same-day cardiac um, testing, shorter troponin testing times? I'm not quite so sure. I think you need to read the paper. Um, it's quite interesting to sort of think about why this is. Anyway, it's keeping in the, in the frame of chest pain, thinking about troponins, um, which of course seem to be ubiquitous these days. Um, patients who present with chest pain often face length of delays in the ED to rule out um, acute coronary syndromes, even though what less than 10% of them are diagnosed with ACS in the end. Um, so previous studies have shown that up to 46% of cardiac troponin testing in the ED is probably inappropriate and results in not just wasted costs, but unnecessary procedures and, and potentially harm. Moreover, it can cause alarm and anxiety without adding value. So Smith and colleagues in the US hypothesised that this low-risk patient population does not benefit from testing and could be safely discharged following an ECG. Interesting. They conducted a secondary analysis of the heart pathway implementation study, and the heart pathway risk assessments, that's the, um, the heart scores and the serial troponin testing at naught and three hours, were completed by providers on adult patients with chest pain from three US sites. Major adverse cardiac events, or MACE as they're known, which is a composite of death, myocardial infarction, or revascularization at 30 days was used as an outcome. And their findings suggest that the patients with the HERE score of zero and one represent a very low risk group that may not require troponin testing in order to achieve a missed MACE rate. So maybe fewer delays in the future, but it's also an area where I think there are a number of strategies out there. The one we use in Manchester is the TMAX, designed by Rick Body, published it in the journal. Um, but yes, we probably need better ways of stratifying this group of patients to avoid overwhelming our systems. And then almost finally, um, the ED on your doorstep. Shielding our frail older patients has been an ongoing challenge during COVID-19. And one hospital has actually bucked the trend and taken the ED to the patient. So in Ireland, McNamara and colleagues in Dublin described how a bespoke weekend service assessing older people who fell at home was expanded to meet the evolving needs of shielding older patients in the pandemic. The team consisted of an advanced paramedic, an ED registrar and an occupational therapist in conjunction with local consultants in geriatric and emergency medicine. All three um, professionals travelled and attended calls together, covering a wide catchment, both urban and rural. And the service carried with them OT equipment and had access to near patient testing and point of care ultrasound. Patients were registered to the ED by phone, so they still count. And interestingly, they, they attended actually quite a lot of patients, 592 patients in the first 105 days of operation 
43 of whom were transferred to hospital, 41 being admitted. They also undertook 21 additional visits to care homes to get advice on infection control support. I think this is really interesting. I think I, I agree. I think you should read this paper. There's a lot of detail here about setup costs and how to get going, as well as examples of the cases seen. It does sound like a quality care you would wish for your older relatives. And perhaps it's one of those things that coming out of COVID, isn't it? It's forcing us to innovate and it may be something to look at for the future. And then finally, a uh, quick note to go and have a look at the Sono case series. I think these are really good, actually. Um, I'm certainly learning a lot. Uh, Brand Shy this month, um, look at the ultrasound focus on soft tissue infections, abscesses, pyomyositis, and necrotizing fasciitis. There's a lot to be learned in this series. And I think if you are an ED enthusiast, or even if you're not, then they're definitely worth a look. So that's it for November. I hope you um, are well, stay well, wash your hands, and yeah, keep going. There's still plenty to do in the world of emergency medicine.